Well, good morning, everyone. Yeah, let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. Yay, that's much better. I know I don't, I know I say I don't judge you on that, but I do every Sunday, just in case you're wondering. Okay, that's the only thing that we judge on. Yeah, no. I'm just really glad that you're here today. Today we are continuing on in our series called The Art of Belonging. And I think it's a really important series for us. It's important for our world. Because as I shared last week, I really do believe that our world is in a crisis of belonging. That belonging is harder to find and harder to keep than ever before. It's so easy to lose it. And in fact, what belonging masquerades in our world is really as fitting in. And fitting in is the opposite of belonging. Fitting in is where you alter who you are based on who's around you, rather than being known and loved by those around you. Belonging is when you are known and loved and accepted. And I shared last week that the beginning of all belonging is actually in finding belonging with Christ. Anyone want to say amen to that, right? That we belong to him. And when we belong to him, actually three things are changed. We are freed from condemnation. We don't need to live under shame. We are empowered to live differently. And we are given a new identity. And today I want to add in another piece to belonging. Because it's so crucial that it begins with belonging to God. But then what I want to talk about today is this. That if you want to find belonging, you also need to actually belong to a purpose that is bigger than yourself. You need to belong to like a common cause, a shared purpose, a vision, something that is larger than just you. That if you want to find belonging in this world, it begins with God, but also a cause that is bigger than just you. And I want to introduce us into this idea by sharing with you a story from uh, a scholar named Kim Samuel, who I quoted last week. She has a book called On Belonging, and she's a scholar on social connectedness, and she teaches at Harvard, Oxford, and McGill. Not a bad resume, okay, in terms of academics, all right? Not a bad resume. And in her work, she shares some really beautiful, like, statistics and all that sort of thing. But the thing that is most moving to me is she actually shares stories. So I want to share with you a story of when she sat down, of what she shares, of when she sat down at a party with Nelson Mandela, okay? That's obviously not parties I get invited to, okay? And so if you don't know who Nelson Mandela is, he was a South African anti-apartheid activist and because of his work, he was really imprisoned on Robben Island for 27 years. And then he went on to become the first black head of state of South Africa. He won the Nobel Peace Prize, and he created this tremendous impact on the world. So Kim Samuel shares this story where she's having you know, a meal and a time with him and a few other people. And she was sharing about how her father, as he ages, is actually experiencing kind of increased isolation. It's becoming harder for him. And so Kim Samuel turns to Nelson Mandela and he says, and she says this, of course, you would know all about isolation because he was imprisoned for 27 years. 27 years. Do you want to know what Nelson Mandela said? He pauses and he says this, no, I have never been isolated. I have never been isolated. Isolated. Even though he's been in prison for 27 years, Kim Samuel, reflecting on this moment, she writes this. She says, in that moment, I thought back to when I had visited the prison on Robben Island in Table Bay off the western cape of South Africa. This is where Mandela spent so many years sequestered, deprived of freedom, and unable to see his children grow. I remember the thunder of the door to his cell as it closed. The tiny window, he would have to lift himself up to even get a glimpse of the outside world. So she repeats the question. She says, never isolated? Not even on Robin Island? No, he replied with quiet conviction. And then listen to Mandela's response. 
He says this, on Robben Island, we were all brothers working together with a common purpose. I was never alone. Don't miss this. On Robben Island, we were all brothers working together with a common purpose. I was never alone. He says, I have seen isolation. I have seen it in the child with AIDS whom no one in a village will love or care for or touch or feed or shelter. I have seen isolation, and it is very, very, very bad. Kim Samuel, reflecting on this, writes this. This exchange marked me deeply. Here was a man who had been physically isolated in the starkest of conditions, yet more than 27 years of imprisonment. He stayed connected to his community, so what she writes, through a shared sense of purpose. Through a shared sense of purpose. That when you have a shared sense of purpose, it can create belonging that grounds you and can even help you in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. She writes that really it's a shared sense of purpose that brings deep common bonds of belonging. And this is what I want to look at here today. Because I believe this is true not only from Nelson Mandela's experience, I believe it's also true from the Bible. That when we get connected to something larger than us, it can create these shared bonds of belonging that last and are strengthened and ground us in the world around us. And so to explore this idea that common bonds of purpose, of vision, and of calling matter deeply, if we're going to find belonging in this world where it's so, so difficult to find. I want to take a look at a book I haven't preached on in years here, but it's one of my favorite books. I say, that, I say that about every book that we virtually talk about. I know that, like, yeah, it's like, it's like with children. They're all your favorites, right? You just keep kind of, yeah, yeah, talking about it. So if you have your Bibles today, I want to take a look at the book of Nehemiah, which is one of my favorites, along with the entirety of the Bible, okay? So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. I want to explore here how Nehemiah shows us that belonging to something larger than you can create this shared sense of not only purpose, but connection with one another. So here's the context for the book of Nehemiah, if you don't know it, okay? In the book of Nehemiah, what has just happened, really, is that the Israelite people have been exiled, which means that Jerusalem has been utterly destroyed. It's just been, like, raised. Like, there's been so much death and trauma and difficulty that these people have gone through. And so all these people have been deported, and Jerusalem, as itself, is really destroyed. Its walls are broken. Everything is in rubble. Nothing is good. There is this sense of just hopelessness and real deep disconnection for the Jewish people. There's a sense of just wandering and uncertainty, and they are not feeling together in any way, shape, or form. It's into this situation that Nehemiah starts to enter into it. Nehemiah is living actually in Persia. He's living nowhere near Jerusalem, and he's living a life of relative ease for that day and age, actually. He's the king's cupbearer, which means he would, like, taste, you know, wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned, that sort of thing. And so he finds out about what's happening in Jerusalem. And so some messengers came and they said this to him. This is in Nehemiah uh, chapter 1. Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And there are like a short few sentences. We get a sense of where things are at in Jerusalem. That when it says that the gates have been destroyed, that the walls are down, this is both dangerous physically and symbolic of shame for them. It's both these two things. At first, it's really dangerous in that day and age to have a city without walls. In fact, in Hebrew, do you want to know what the Hebrew word for city means? Literally place with walls, right? So you can imagine, you can imagine being back in that day and age, how important walls might be for protection, for security, for safety. So it's a big deal. But really, these walls being down are actually symbolic of shame and disgrace. 
that it's like the people can't even come together to protect themselves, that they're just like naked and vulnerable. There is this sense of disgrace. It's even there in the text. They're in great trouble and disgrace. And so Nehemiah is moved by this plight of his people. It says this, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. But Nehemiah isn't moved just to tears. He's also moved to action. He decides to actually seek to try to address this. And so he speaks with the king, and through a series of amazing miracles, what ends up happening is the king authorizes him to go back and to rebuild the walls, to bring some honor to this place of shame, to bring some hope for the people, and to bring some physical safety as well. And the king is going to pay for it all, which is an amazing miracle. So Nehemiah heads back to try to seek to address the reality of Jerusalem being in such shambles. So we read this. This is in chapter 2. In verse 11, so I arrived in Jerusalem. He gets there. Notice what the text says. Three days later, three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put on my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except for a donkey that I was riding. And he goes and he investigates the wall to see what it is he's working with. Notice with me in that passage, can you sense the kind of secrecy that's there? Right? Like he's going at night. He's telling nobody. Right? And our day and age, this is not how you cast a vision to get something accomplished. Okay? In our day and age, you like launch some big things. There'd be like trumpets or I don't know, like at least, I don't know, candy floss or something. Right? There would be something that would be going on. Nehemiah isn't doing any of that. He's actually holding it back. And we actually learn why in a few moments. Because sometimes what ends up happening is this. Sometimes in life, when you experience something that is deeply traumatic and difficult and challenging and hurtful, sometimes when you experience these things, you would think that people would rally together, but actually, the difficulty just splits people apart. That's what's going on here. And I know that idea is simple, but you might have experienced it too. That sometimes you would think if you go through a health challenge as a family, you might all rally together, but sometimes it just splinters things. Sometimes if you go through a real difficulty at a workplace or in an office or with friendships, you would hope that in challenge and difficulty, people would band together. But actually what often happens is people turn on one another, actually. They turn on one another. They start blaming. They start accusing. There starts to be this disgruntled factions that create. And that's what's going on, actually, for Nehemiah. The text is actually really clear, if you pay attention, that the real reason that the walls aren't built is because everything is devolved into chaos and factions and no sense of togetherness. Because this is just, like, obvious, okay? If you're in the ancient day world, it doesn't take a genius to say we should build some walls around here, okay? That the reason they haven't done it is because they are all splintered and all the hurt that's there. Let me show you. Let me show you from the text. You have to kind of pay attention to it. It says this in verse 16. The city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing. Because, again, there's all these people vying for power. It says this, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. Listen to how secretive he is. Because he's waiting for the right moment, right? It says this, I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders. And then listen to what he says. The priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. Those are factions, are they not? Like, listen to what he names, right? There are priests, there are nobles, there are officials, anyone else in the administration. There's also, like, common people He's naming all the different ways that these people have divided into groups that are actually fighting in such a way that they can't be rebuilding what God would have them do and what is obvious for them to do. 
So Nehemiah is going to try to bring some togetherness, some belonging, some connectedness to these kind of separate and splintering groups. And what he's going to do is he's going to cast a vision. He's going to do it in three ways. He's going to share the problem. He's then going to actually share the solution and also share why the time is now to embark on this. So this is what he says to all of them. I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in, right? He's going to describe the problem for them. He says, Jerusalem lies in ruins, right? Yeah, it's in ruins, but that's obvious. Listen to what he also says. He says this, its gates have been destroyed by fire. He says, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. But then notice what he says at the end. And end this, what's the term? Disgrace. He's speaking not just to the walls, but what they symbolically represent. He says the problem is not just that the walls are down, but that we are living in disgrace. He says we need to fix this. The solution is pretty obvious. He says let us rise up and rebuild the walls. Let us work together. Let us come together. Let's make this happen. But then, after he's told them the problem and the solution, he says this. He explains to them why the time is now. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. He says, here's the reason why the time is now to rise up and to do this. Nehemiah outlines the problem, the solution, and the reason for why. And then the people, says they, like all of them, you know, symbolically replied at once. Listen to the unity that's there now all of a sudden. It says this, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Or in this, I actually think the KGV translates it much better. The KGV translates this verse as this, yes, let us rise up and build. There's like this collective togetherness that comes. And if you read the rest of Nehemiah, what you're going to see is that all of a sudden, people start working shoulder to shoulder. There's a collective sense of like belonging and a purpose and a vision and a movement and trajectory that they are doing something that matters, a good and a great work. And that when you start to belong to something that is bigger than you, you can find this sense of connectedness and belonging. And that's what happens in the book of Nehemiah. For sure there are challenges that he will continue to face. But all of a sudden they seem to be facing them together. And it makes all the difference. So today what I want to suggest to you, and I think it's really important for us to understand, is that if we want to find belonging in our world, we not only need to belong to God, but also to a vision and a purpose that is bigger than any one of us. And I think if you start to get this idea, you can understand why belonging is so hard to find in our world. Because our world teaches us belong to nothing bigger than ourselves. Our world says what matters most is our desires, our personal preferences. We are self-centered, selfish people in how our world forms us. That we first think about ourselves, not the common good. Right? This is why belonging is really difficult to find in our world. Because not only do we not belong to God, so many of us don't belong to anything that is bigger than our own personal desires. But if we are going to actually find belonging in this world, we need to belong to God and to a vision and a purpose and a calling that is bigger than any one of us. This is what Nehemiah actually experiences. And they all come together and say, let us rise up and build. This is what Nelson Mandela was talking about, the same sort of thing. Right, that because they belong to a bigger purpose, he says, no, I have never been isolated. And this is what each and every one of us can experience as well, if we belong not only to God, but also to a bigger purpose and calling than any one of us. So I think the obvious question then, if you're following with me so far, the obvious question then is like, what purpose should we belong to? Right? What should we be doing? Or to make it really kind of specific for us, what is our purpose, our vision, our calling here as Bethany? 
What is the problem we're trying to solve? What's the solution? And why should we be doing this now? That's what I want to explain next. I want to explore really through Nehemiah's kind of scheme of things, the problem, the solution, and why we should be building it, what we can be actually building here together. I want to suggest to you that the problem is both um, generic and specific, okay? That I think the problem all churches are trying to solve at a base level, here's the problem all churches are trying to solve at the base level, okay? Is that people don't know Jesus and people need to know Jesus Christ, amen? Right, like that's really what we're seeking to do. But that is both generic in the sense that it applies in every single situation. I want it to be a little bit more specific. I want to seek today to diagnose and describe the problem in our world that is unique to our current cultural moment. Because this is just true, okay? Sin and darkness and evil is a part of every generation, okay? But how it manifests itself, the dominant energies that we see change throughout times and spaces and places. To put it more specifically, what we are facing today is not the exact same thing as what we were facing 20 years ago, correct? Anybody live long enough to realize that the world changes a little bit? Right? Yeah, we can say amen to that. Yeah. So I want to give you some examples of what I'm talking about, how sin can manifest itself in a dominant form, energy, or spirit. Give you some examples from history. If you want to know what I think the dominant sin or evil or darkness in the 50s was, it was fear, actually. And the response of the church needed to be courage and faith. If you want to know what I think the dominant energy or sin of the 60s was, it was apathy. And the church needed to respond and step up with justice. That's what the church needed to do. If you want to know what I think, this is my personal opinion, what the main sin and problem of the 2000s was, to move it a little bit more you know, today, I think it was distraction, actually. And what I think the church needed to do was actually deep, pastoral, spirit-led action. And so today, I want to diagnose and describe, I think, the problem of our world that we are all facing. And yes, of course, it is rooted in the fact that our world does not know Jesus Christ. But the way that is actually seen in our world is this. That I think the problem of our world today is this. That we live in a world that is addicted to hate. This is the problem of our world. We live in a world that is absolutely addicted and feeding on and encouraging hate. I think this is the dominant sin. I think this is the characteristic spirit. I think this is the problem in the world around us, is that there is hate that is so common. It is so prevalent. It is so accepted in our world. We don't even name it for what it is anymore. We've actually so accepted hate. We're just used to it. We don't even name it. Let me give you some examples. Okay? Let me give you some examples. Has anyone in the past five years has anyone ever heard our world or culture or society described in these words? Has anybody ever heard that we live in a very polarized world? Anybody heard that phrase before? Right? Anybody ever heard the word described our world as toxic, divisive, maybe tribal? What I want to suggest to you is that all of these are just actually euphemisms for hate, actually. We just so become accustomed to it, we don't even name it for what it is. That you want to know what polarization is? It's a softer word for people who hate one another. That's what it is. Do you want to know who divisive people are? They're hate-filled people. Do you want to know what a toxic space is? It's a hate-filled space. Do you want to know what tribalism is? It's group-authorized hate. That's what it is. Hate is the dominant spirit within our world and our day and age. And in some ways, in some ways, I hope I don't need to prove this to you. 
Because, I mean, honestly, if you're online for like 10 minutes, can we agree with this? You will see it, will you not? Like, if you're online for just 10 minutes, or like, I don't know, if you watch the news for two minutes, or if you hear a politician speak for 30 seconds, okay, you're going to see it. You're going to see it. And it's, just in case you're wondering where I'm at with this, it's on both the right and the left. Both of them just demonize and condemn one another. This is the biggest problem of our age is that we are a hateful culture and we don't even know it. We don't even name it and we certainly then don't repent from it. Now, if you want to know the problem that we are seeking to solve here at Bethany, it is that our world is a hateful world and we believe we're called to live differently. That this is the dominant spirit of our age. In fact, in fact, if you want to know the fastest way for you to grow your platform, your political party, or even your church, it's to actually organize around hate today. It's the fastest way to get growth and false unity where we're all just going to agree that the problem is someone else. We will blame them. We will accuse them. But we certainly won't look inwardly and we'll say that we're better than them. That us versus them is just disguised hate. That even when I said last week a dominant thing in our world is condemnation, that's just another way of describing hate. That's all it is. That's all it is. That what I want to suggest to you is the problem in our world is that we are a world that is absolutely addicted to hate and we don't even realize it. It runs so deep. And then if that is the problem, do you want to know what the solution is? The solution unquestionably is Jesus Christ. Amen? Right? The solution unquestionably is Jesus Christ. But we want to get more specific than that. Not just giving generic vague answers. Really, if the problem is hate, the answer is to be a community of radical Christ-like love. That is the antidote to hate. Anyone want to say amen to that? Right? That love is the antidote to hate. And when I, when I say love, I'm not, you know me, I'm not talking about wishy-washy sentimentality. I'm not talking about just singing like love songs or something. Okay? I'm talking about how the Bible describes love. And how the Bible describes love is that you would care for someone so deeply that you would be committed to them, your family, your friends, your neighbors, even your enemies that it would cost you something. It would cost you something. That love in the Bible is something that serves and sacrifices and bears the sins and hurts of other people. That love in the Bible is actually where you gather with people you would disagree with and include them and where you would never, ever, ever demonize or condemn somebody else. Because what we can affirm as Christians is this, every single person is made in the image of God, amen? So anything less than that is unchristian. This is what we are called to do. We need to build a community of love that is that deep and that countercultural. And it is hard. It is messy. It is inconvenient. Because guess what? Love is hard and messy and inconvenient. You want to know what else? You want to know why this is the time to do it? Because Christ commands it. Christ commands it. Christ absolutely commands this kind of love. And in case you're not so sure, let me reach you Jesus' words. Okay? Jesus says this in Matthew 5. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Amen? Love your enemies. Let me just be clear with this. This pretty much covers everyone. Right? It pretty much covers everyone. Right? Jesus says, love God, love others. And he says here, love your enemies. There is nobody that is left out of the love of God. There is nobody that's left out of our calling to love. In fact, Jesus ratchets it up even further. Because he's going to say, you want to know? 
how you know if someone's a follower of Christ? You want to know if they are actually a child of Christ? You want to know if they have the fruit of the Spirit within their lives? That's what he says. Pray for those who persecute you. And in this way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. True children of your Father in heaven. This is what we should be seeking to discern in our lives. That true children of God are people who practice love so deeply that enemies are turned into friends and adversaries are turned into neighbors and there is no us in them. It's just we together. That's the kind of love that Christ is not only inviting us into. He's the king and he commands it. We are called to follow him in it. So what's the problem? The problem is that our world is addicted to hate and needs Christ. And the solution is for us to demonstrate Christ by our care and our commitment and our love to one another. That the big, big problem in our world is our world treats trying to cast hate out with hate. And it never works. Listen to Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King preaching on this very passage I just read. He said this, and I think it's absolutely true. He says, returning hate for hate multiplies hate. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. He says this, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. This is why in our world today, we need to be a community of love more than ever. That we need to rise up and to build this together. That our world is desperate for this kind of thing, even though it can't even name it. Jesus, earlier in Matthew 5, he says this about how we are called to live differently. He says, you are a light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And the good deeds that I think that need to shine so brightly in a world filled with hate is people so committed to love that they would actually even love their friends, their family, and even their enemies. And in such a way, such a way, people might turn to praise God in heaven. So today, what is my main point? Today, my main point is simple in some ways. That belonging can be found when we not only belong to God, but also to a vision bigger than ourselves. That belonging can be found when we actually start to live for something more than just ourselves. It'll connect us, it'll root us, it'll ground us. Belonging can be found when we actually belong to a vision bigger than ourselves. And then what is our vision here? Well, we talk about it as uh, many different ways. We talk about changing the world starting right here in Niagara. We talk about being changed by Jesus and changing lives with Jesus. We talk about being a caring community to a hurting world. But if you want to get down to the core of who we are here at Bethany, what we are seeking to do is to actually practice that radical Christ-like love of loving our family, our friends, our enemies, of everyone. That we would be a space and a place and a people who are committed to that kind of love, even though it is costly, even though it is difficult, and even though it is always inconvenient. And in many ways, in many ways, this is who we have always been actually here. I don't know if you know that, but this is really who we've always been. When we moved down here seven years ago, I had the habit of meeting people. And I don't know if you know this, but a lot of people in Niagara go to a lot of different churches sometimes. And they have a lot of opinions on other people's churches that they don't go to. I don't know if you've ever noticed this at all. Um, or maybe that's hitting too close to home for some. Okay. But I would tell them, like, I would meet people. And I would tell them, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm a new pastor at Bethany. And do you want to know what so many people told me about our church? Sometimes people used it in a dismissive way. Sometimes people thought it was a good thing. I always took it as a good thing. 
You know what they told us about Bethany? They said, oh, that's that church that'll take anyone. <laughs> and I just honestly, in my heart was like, yeah, amen to that. Like, like that's, that's what every church should be. I'm so glad that we're known as that. Yeah, we'll take anyone. Amen to that. This is a beautiful thing. Because we are built on the fact that we exist for others and we're going to work together to love every single person because that's what Christ demands. That's what he calls us to. And anything less is unfaithfulness. So what is our problem in the world? It's hate-filled world. What's our solution to be a Christ-like community of love? That's how we'll change the world starting right here in Niagara. And then why is the time now? Because our world desperately needs it. So practically then, what do we do? Because it can be hard to hear this. You might say, yes, but then what do we like actually do like tomorrow, right? Or at work or with our friends or whatever. Because for Nehemiah, his vision was very clear, at least in the sense of like, hey, we should build a wall. Probably start with those rocks there, right? Like it's like the next steps were pretty obvious. Start stacking those things together, right? So I want to give you today three things that maybe you can kind of stack together that I think will continue us on the trajectory we have always been to let us rise up and build a community of love. And the three things are not going to be new. If you've attended Bethany for a long time, they are simple. It is just who we are. It is our discipleship kind of framework and path. It is up, with, and out. Okay? Now, when we talk about following Jesus here, we talk about we're all called to do three things. We are called to daily connect up with Jesus. We are called to journey deeply with others. And we are called to serve and sacrifice out in the community. This is what discipleship looks like for us here. So practically, I want to share how if we do these things, it'll help us to actually build that community of love across difference, that true kind of love that bears, hurts, and sins, and actually welcomes people in. That first, we are called actually to daily connect up with Jesus. That if we're going to offer love at that radical level of actually loving our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, and even our enemies, the only way we can do that is if we are daily and deeply connected to Jesus Christ that we need to receive love and grace from him consistently and constantly to live in that so that then we might share that with those around us. That unless we receive it, we can't be able to give and to share it. This is why we started this entire season, our series, with the sermon last week on belonging to Christ because that's the beginning space. It's receiving from him. It's hearing from him. It's praying and connecting with him. This is the beginning. If you want to know how to change the world, it starts by daily connecting up with Jesus. Secondly, what we're also called to do is to journey deeply with one another. We have this false illusion that we can change the world on our own while remaining disconnected. That is ridiculous. No, we need one another. We need to be practicing this idea of journeying deeply with each other, that journeying deeply with one another. This is how we will actually be part of changing the world. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, like a city on the hilltop that cannot be hidden. And he says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so everyone will praise your heavenly father. Every single you word in that passage, they're all plural. It's about us together. That I know we don't translate it this way because we're not in the south. But if we're in the south, okay, we might say instead, let y'all's good deeds <laughs> shine out for all to see. Okay? Like, it's y'all. That's the word there. It's all of us together. Not you individually, but you with me and each other and all of us. We're all called to do that together. So I want to invite you to journey with one another. And the way we do that here primarily is in and through home churches. 
Home church has become like the laboratory where we practice loving each other, where we practice actually caring for each other, where we practice journeying with each other. And yes, at times, home churches are messy and difficult and inconvenient. Because guess what? Sometimes you're probably messy, difficult, and inconvenient, right? It involves all of us. But that's the beautiful thing. Because it's not fake. It's about us actually practicing it together. And we need that. So if you aren't a part of a home church, I want to challenge you. Join a home church today. Join a home church today. Because guess what? They're starting up this week. Look at that. It's like it was planned or something, right? <laughs> so you can sign up today and start off this week. Because it matters. It matters. And it'll just be for the next six or eight weeks. You can give it a go. But honestly, you also do need to journey with others for the rest of your lives, okay? Like, it's nothing we just kind of trial run. Like, really, we do need one another. So we're going to build a community of love. If we're going to build this kind of idea of belonging. We need to connect up with Jesus, daily journey, also with others. And then lastly, we need to serve and sacrifice out in the community. We need to serve and sacrifice out in the community. That truthfully, serving and sacrificing creates shared senses of belonging. Serving and sacrificing does create belonging. That if you want to be connected, serving and sacrificing will do that for us. That's what Nehemiah experienced. As people started to give and to be a part of building the wall, they felt like they were a part of something larger because they actually were. Because they were actually doing something to contribute to that. So I want to invite you today that if you aren't serving, today is the day to sign up to serve and to sacrifice to actually be a part of something larger than yourself. Which is why, as you came in, you would have noticed that we have like a connection fair out in the foyer, okay? We are trying to make this as easy for you as possible, okay? To at least find out and to find a space to be involved. So outside, you will see lots of different tables. Each of them have prizes and games and also food for your children, which you as parents will probably not love, okay? And you can find out more about all these different spaces. We have uh, spaces for you to serve in like weekend services and like tech and music. We have spaces to serve with kids ministry, with Celebrate Recovery, with youth, with home churches, with so many different spaces. We even have spaces for people who are handy, right? If you're good with that. I clearly don't lead that team at all. But there are lots of spaces for each and every one of us. What I want to challenge you is to get involved. You'll also see out there, because we don't believe it's just about us, there are other ministries that we support and partner with in our community as well. Because it's not just about us, it's actually about all of us together. So there's Mennonite Central Community out there, there is Youth for Christ, there's Open Arms uh, Mission in Welland and many others. I want to invite you to take time today to find a place to give and to serve. This will create belonging because it will enlarge you into something bigger than just you. Okay? And then... If you're already serving, if you're already serving, then I just have two words for you today. Anyone want to guess what they are? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because it's actually of the serving of hundreds of volunteers that make all of our programs happen each and every week. So today, what is my main point? My main point is really that belonging can be found when we belong to a vision that is bigger than ourselves. And what's our common purpose here? It's to actually be that radical community of love, to really change the world starting in Niagara because of how we commit to caring for our family, our friends, our neighbors, and even our enemies. And then practically, how do we do this? Well, it's through up, with, and out. So today I want to challenge you to serve, to join a home church, and certainly to receive daily from Christ. Because when we start to do those things, that's when we can actually start to be building those stones or that wall of love that we are seeking to do here. And so with that, I want to invite you to join with me in prayer here this morning. So God, today I pray. I pray what each of us, 
Would each of us be able to take that step towards receiving from you to actually journeying with others and to serving and sacrificing out in the world? I pray, God, would we belong to that larger vision of actually seeking to make this world a better place by how we choose to love our family, our friends, our neighbors, and even our enemies. God, I pray, would you free us from that addiction to hate that is so prevalent in our world, and instead, God, would you give us the compassion to love those around us? God, I pray for those who are serving and sacrificing here at Bethany. I ask, God, would you continue to bless them and to strengthen them, and we are so grateful for them. And for those of us, God, who might not yet be involved, I pray would you help us to find a space where we might be able to serve and to sacrifice, and then that way that we might create belonging not only for ourselves, but also for the world around us. And I pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.